chapter fifty two of just as i am this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c just as i am by mary elizabeth braden chapter fifty two thicker than water it was september and the harvest was nearly over in the fields round osthorpe a peerless september morning sweet to the sportsman lightly treading the stubble with a brace of flop-eared setters bounding before him sweet to the village truant climbing the briery bank where the blackberries were ripening in the autumn sun but sweeter still to arthur hallamond for this fair september morning was to be his wedding day and in the soft light of the harvest moon dulcie and he were to be crossing the channel on the first stage of their journey to the tyrol with which romantic region mr hallamond had made himself familiar years ago when he was an undergraduate with ample leisure and well-filled purse roaming the continent in quest of some quiet nook for study it was to be a very simple wedding miss courtney's engagement had been told to only a few people but those few had not been so silent as they ought to have been about the secret confided to them and the little world of osthorpe had grown familiar with the fact even before the bands were read in the village church every one wanted to be asked to the wedding and sir everard received many intimidations direct and indirect to that effect but he pleaded his own precarious health and the bridegroom's profession as reasons for a quiet wedding i could not stand the incitement of a crowd he said when miss aspinall remonstrated with him on his cruelty to the neighbourhood and hallaman hates the idea of a fuss but dulcie screamed miss aspinall you have to think of dulcie dulcie ought not to be cheated out of one of the great triumphs of a pretty girl's existence a stylish wedding dulcie does not wish for a stylish wedding you forget that her situation is somewhat delicate a few months ago she was engaged to morton blake ah sighed miss aspinall that was a sad pity your rooted objection to trade i suppose well a man of your old family would naturally be prejudiced and mr hallamond is very nice remarkably nice i have not a word to say against him i suppose i may come to the wedding having known your dear child ever since she was a tiny thing we shall be delighted to have your company if you will not be bored by a hundrum wedding hundrum as if dulcie's wedding could be hundrum to me 
you do not know the interest i have felt in that sweet girl sighed mrs aspinall thinking how fondly she had hoped to have the sweet girl for a stepdaughter and how little chance there was of that hope being realized you will come then lord blackmarden and his son will be with us lady frances will be dulcie's bridemaid only one bridemaid yes but that bridesmaid is her bosom friend the girl who has been a sister to her in her trouble don't you think it is better to have one such bridesmaid than ten foolish virgins who care a great deal less for the bride than for the fine gowns they'll wear at her wedding true assented miss aspinall franny grange is very real rather rough and masculine in her ways not my ideal girl but very staunch i used to think she was in love with morton and that it would be a very nice thing if those two were to make a match of it for poor lord batchmarden hasn't sixpence to give his daughter you know but when i sounded her the other day she told me plainly that she doesn't care a straw for him she admitted that in their old boy and girl days when he was a lad at rugby and she a child in short petticoats she had been awfully fond of him but it has all worn off it seems i suppose dulcie's engagement cured her she would hardly like the reversion of a heart though as for that a girl in her circumstances ought not to be particular and now the wedding day has come and dulcie simply dressed in her dove-colored traveling gown with a dove-colored straw hat and just one sprig of orange blossom pinned among the soft folds of her old machin fichu walked through the fields to church leaning on her father's arm lord blatchmardin followed with mrs aspinall who had a new gown from worth for the occasion determined to shoot one final arrow at the mark she had so often tried to hit sir everard's marble heart the gown was an elaborate combination of velvet and silk of the last new color bottle glass and would be useful for winter wear and in this bottle glass gown with bottle glass bonnet and feather and ten button swedish gloves mrs aspinall felt herself above criticism dulcie had insisted that if mrs aspinall came to the wedding miss pawker should be asked too so the youthful louisa was there looking really fashionable in a cast-off gown of her patroness which had been done up for the occasion lady frances wore a kind of glorified lawn tennis costume of soft white cashmere and scarlet velvet with a scarlet toque perched coquishly upon her curly black hair 
and a cluster of scarlet geraniums and stephanies pinned on her shoulder a costume which belleville approved in his own vernacular as a fetching get-up poor belleville with miss pawker leaning on his arm looked like a victim being led to a sacrifice to have to assist at the wedding of the one woman who could have made his life happy was a sore trial that one other woman who was destined to be his consoler had not yet appeared on life's horizon but that for a man of belleville's temperament there would be such woman nobody in his senses could doubt the bishop of the diocese was arthur hallaman's bosom friend he had been in charge of an important parish during the earlier part of mr hallaman's ministry in whitechapel and the two men had seen much of each other they had the same views the same opinions the same broad and liberal cast of mind and character and the happy turn of events which had raised the vicar to the episcopal bench had in no wise weakened the tie between them when the bishop heard that his friend was going to be married he at once declared his intention of tying the knot this redeems the whole thing said mrs aspinall with a reverent glance at his lordship's lawn sleeves and after all there is a quiet elegance in a wedding of this kind which your hurly-burly marriages at st george's can never attain the bare old church was decked with flowers flowers from hothouses and flowers from cottage gardens every wreath had been woven every cluster arranged by hands that worked with loving zeal the whole thing had been done in one afternoon as if by magic and when the ceremonial was over and the schoolmistress was making as much noise as the harmonian was capable of in the swelling chords of mendelssohn's wedding march dulcie and her husband walked along a path of thickly strewn blossoms that had been sought for far and wide in wood and field harebells and purple heath bloom and all the family of autumn flowers sir everard gave his arm to lady frances when they left the church while mrs aspinall who had quite enough of lord Block marden and his disquisition on the last improvement in hay-saving machinery impounded the bishop leaving the earl to follow with his son the newly married pair were to drive straight from the church gate to highclere station where they would arrive just in time to catch the one o'clock express for london thus escaping the horrors of a wedding breakfast father said dulcie clinging to sir everard in the farewell at the gate when shall we see you again next winter perhaps my pet if your husband will bring you to algiers 
of course he will take me you will take me to see papa won't you arthur that is a promise was it you or i who promised just now to obey asked her husband smiling down at the sweet uplifted face i know which of us will have to do it yes dear you shall be taken to algiers if you ordered me to take you to the moon i should have to set about the journey somehow though i might feel sure of breaking down it is not a joke sir i am very much in earnest wherever papa spends the winter i must go to see him dear love it shall be so god helping us answered mr hallamond very much in earnest this time then came the last clinging embrace between father and daughter a little hand given to the friends who clustered at the gate and then dulcie stepped lightly to her place in the barouche her husband seated himself by her side the villagers men women and children set up a hearty cheer and the carriage rolled away in a cloud of sunlit dust that encircled it like a nimbus what shall i do without her sighed sir everard but thank god she is happy the little party minus bride and groom went back to fairview to eat lobster salad and perigood pie and drink to the wedded lovers in sparkling wines sir everard tried his hardest to seem gayer than he was wont to be but francis grange who had learned how to read his face could see that his heart was heavy mrs aspinall confident in the success of her bottle-glass gown and of the new hair dye which was ever so much more natural than the last provided vivacity and spirits for the whole party cheering sir everard with sympathetic oogles and openly croquetting with the bishop sparkling wines at an unusual hour had opened the sluices of mrs aspinall's eloquence and she talked enough for everybody surveying the party with a superior smile as if she could not help admitting to herself that they were all very stupid and that she was the life of the assembly she talked of herself chiefly of her early married life and the royal personages and diplomatic celebrities with whom she had been on intimate terms during her wanderings on the continent we had a delicious villa at Popsilipo, and received all the best people in naples poor bomba and i were like brother and sister he used to tell me all his plans and he really had a very noble mind a noble mind i have always hated garibaldi and all that nonsense about the unification of italy the country has been going down ever since the bourbons left it and the queen was very sweet yes we spent some happy days at Posipo 
mrs aspinall sighed and allowed scroop to fill her glass with dry champagne it was about the seventh time the glass had been filled conscientiously and the dowager was beginning to wander a little dear holy hill she exclaimed with a maudlin air bishop you know the south of ireland she accompanied the remark with a playful tap of her fan upon the episcopal knuckles and she smiled a melting smile yes madame i've enjoyed some very pleasant days in the south of ireland a fine hospitable race you're southern irish i am so glad you like them said mrs aspinall i don't often talk of my old home but i dearly love the memory of it dear holy hill looking down on the beautiful river i was born there my brothers and sisters were born there moved by those touching memories the lady began to sing in a voice which time had slightly cracked ye bells of shandon that sound so grand on the pleasant waters of the river lee arrah thin darlin i'm glad you've not forgotten the old country exclaimed a rich irish voice at the window and mrs aspinall and all the company beheld a stout red-haired florid middle-aged gentleman looking in at them who is that faltered the mistress of aspinall towers staring at the intruder through her binoculars i don't think i know him be clad and ye do my dear ye know your brother pat though it's ten years since ye laid eyes on him faith i'll come round by the door and tell ye all about my journey to england and how i tuck it into my head to come down to dalesher before i went back to holyhead if the matter of the house will excuse me makin so free pray come in and join us said sir everard smiling scroop bring the gentleman round my name's ryan sir pat ryan though my own sisters don't like the trouble to introduce me said the stranger with a crushing look at mrs aspinall he disappeared from the window and was ushered in by scroop good morning to ye ladies and gentlemen you servant he said with a comprehensive bow and then he walked over to mrs aspinall and gave her a brotherly kiss a loud smack which was altogether the most vulgar thing in kisses his sister writhed under the infliction you shouldn't have intruded yourself upon my friends patrick she said severely i am very glad to see you of course but you should have waited at the towers till i got home 
why then sure i'd waited there till you got home i'd have had to go away without seeing ye i must be back at high clear by five o'clock to catch the train for chester you might take it more kindly my coming if you knew the trouble it cost me and a business like mine that can't be neglected i asked your fine paycock of a footman where you'd gone and when he told me ye was at a wedding breakfast i says then i'll be after following her one gob more or less at a wedding breakfast makes no differ the more the merrier there's always lashkins and lavlins mrs ashfernal looked as if she was going into hysterics lashins and lavins and this red-haired florid man who reeked with vulgarity and talked the broadest irish was her very brother there was nothing to be gained by denying the relationship she would have laughed her to scorn she had kept him at a distance for fifteen years by all manner of diplomatic devices and now when she was declined into the vale of years and was less able to cope with him he came down upon her like an avalanche she could have lifted up her voice and wept but she felt that she must face the situation but she faced it with a sickly smile my brother is a thorough milesian she said with a depreciating glance first at her host and then at the bishop belville and his sister were choking with laughter behind their handkerchiefs but the elder members of the party were preternaturally grave he has hardly ever left his native country oh devil a lie in it fay gentlemen when a man kills more pigs than any other dayer in cork he'd not be after roman about the world for sport i'd like to stand in my own stall and see that the mate gets properly handled and now here's chicago taking the bread out of our mouths with its machine-killed pork ye just stand your grunter on a thrap ye see sir and turn a handle and he falls through and gets his throat cut without knowing anything about it and in so many seconds he's singed and dressed and ready for shippin who's to stand again such a thread as that i'd like to know unless he do be sticking close to his own counter there ain't a better business than mine in cork and though i am no self-made man for i'd a father before me i'm proud to think i've doubled and thribbled the trade since the old gentleman shifted his sticks to a better world bedad 
tis a great change entirely from the days that playboy tim daly christened me pigs is rus bad scran to them tis following they are now without no machinery at all at all scroop had placed a plate and knife and fork before the newcomer and had filled his glass with champagne he now offered the stranger a pate de foie gras which had been only slightly dipped into what this be now asked the pork butcher with a puzzled air of appeal to the company generally it looks uncommon nasty strasburg pie patrick it is excellent said mrs aspinall looking daggers at the unconscious offender thank you kindly my man but i'd rather lave it alone said patrick looking up at the butcher there's too much hog's lard about it for my taste i never ate what i don't understand i'll trouble yees for a slice of that ham of bacon there he looks mighty well for an english ham mr ryan ate a plate of ham and drank a good many glasses of cliquot with hearty relish he made himself quite at home and told the company a good deal about himself and his sister how their father had begun life in a very small way as general dealer in a by-street of cork how he had pushed his trade till he made a big business in pork and irish butter how they had been brought up at an elegant country seat called holly hill which the pork butcher had built for himself how california had been sent to a genteel boarding school and no money spared on her education whereby you may fancy the mortification it was to the poor old father when she married a stuck-up spadine of honourable in nobody who happened to be quartered at cork with his regiment and then turned her back on the whole billin of us all us wan we weren't good enough for the gintry begore concluded mr ryan but she and me made peace when we met promiscuous in london tin year ago and we've been friends ever since haven't us my darling miss astonall assured her brother before the whole assembly that she had always entertained the warmest affection for him and now patrick i must ask you to see me home she said blandly it's getting late and as i shall have to drive you to highclere sure there's a good half hour to spare replied mr ryan looking at his watch and then handing his glass to the butler i'll see the bottom of the bottle patrick you are making your visit an infliction cried mrs aspinall indignantly 
be asy now he doesn't mind me said patrick with a friendly glance at his host tis only yourself that's so mighty particular though be dad with a wink at sir everard ye seem to have the advantage of me in that quarter me love for be all appearance ye made pretty free with the fizz before i came mrs ashfinall sat down again pale with anger at this home thrust a pallor that was visible under her artistic bread she could make no further struggle she could only sit and suffer and speculate dimly as to whether she would be able to go on living at the towers after this whether speedy exile to florence or rome would not be inevitable whether such a hideous exposure could in any wise be lived down mr ryan finished the bottle of champagne making himself as much at home with sir everard and the bishop as if he had been used to such company all his life he was profusely complimentary to the two younger ladies waxing poetical about lady frances grange's eyes and quoting tom moore's lines to ladies eyes around boys you can't refuse he had even a kindly word for miss pocker who thought him one of the nicest men she had ever met batting a touch of vulgarity which was too distinctly national to be altogether offensive she was inclined to wish like desdemona that heaven had made her such a man and she felt a gentle thrill when mr ryan mentioned incidentally that he was a widower and on the lookout for a sensible good-humoured wife not too young to be a clever housekeeper nor too old to be pleasing he finished his bottle and then offered his sister his arm to walk back to the towers mrs aspinall made the best of her painful position and smiled blandly as she wished everybody good-bye i am sorry you must leave the neighbourhood so soon mr ryan said the bishop as the portly pork butcher grasped in his hand if my sister's inclined to be hospitable me lord sure i don't know that i'd mind wasting a week in these parts returned mr ryan with a friendly glance at louisa who had impressed him with a strong idea of her common sense and common sense was patrick's favourite virtue in women possibly because his late wife had been an errant fool you know you are welcome at the towers patrick said mrs aspinall with a convulsive smile faith i'm be no means so sure of that cried that monster of a brother 
with his stentorian laugh but i know i ought to be for blood's thicker than water and you and me was always good friends and didn't i cane tin rooney for ogling you on the parade at queenston sure and a fine bouncing young woman you was in those days divil a bit did i ever expect to see ye shriveled to such thrid paper a rough diamond said miss aspinall to sir everard still blandly smiling but with the smile that masks mental agony are you coming patrick i am ready my dear but i'd like to tip the butler first remonstrated patrick in a loud whisper them fellows always expect it on such an occasion as this but miss aspinall would not wait for the butler to be tipped she felt that her brother appeared at the worst when compared with the calm and polished group she dragged him away somehow breathing a little more freely when she was in the avenue oh patrick patrick she exclaimed with a stifled sob what a disgrace you brought upon me no ma'am answered the pork butcher with dignity there's no disgrace of my bringing for i'm an honest man that has never paid less than twenty shillings in the pound and has a good chance to be mayor of cork before he dies the disgrace is yours if you're ashamed of your own flesh and blood if i only broke and drove a carriage and put a cockade in me man's hat have paid two shillings in the pound tis proud of me yet be but dad i was disgracefully honest end of chapter fifty two recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c